This is a Squiz Kids podcast. Your fresh take on what's happening in the world around you. Each week we give the world globe a spin and see where we land. Then we take the kids of Australia on an audio excursion to visit that country and its people. I'm Amanda Bauer and today on Squiz the World we're visiting the Torres Strait Islands. It's NAIDOC week from July 3 to July 10 and the I in NAIDOC stands for Islanders. So put on your sunscreen, get your fishing tackle ready and strap yourselves in to the Squiz Kids super fast supersonic jetliner as we take off and take a squiz at the Torres Strait Islands. Just the facts. Now you might be thinking, hang on Amanda, Squiz the World travels to a different country each week and most of the islands in the Torres Strait are part of Australia. Well, yes, but they're what's known as an autonomous region. Autonomous means that you have the freedom to govern yourself and the Torres Strait Regional Authority has 20 members elected by locals and it has special powers that no other elected body in Australia has. Let's back up a bit though. Where and what is the Torres Strait? Well, a strait, that's S-T-R-A-I-T, is a narrow passage of water connecting two bigger ones. And if you look at the very top of Australia, you'll see that there's a passage of water between Papua New Guinea to the north and the northern tip of Queensland to the south. Back in 1606, the Spanish navigator Luis de Valles Torres sailed through the 150 kilometre wide strait, and now it bears his name. It would be silly to say he discovered the strait when the indigenous people, who were physically and culturally different from Aboriginal Australians, had already been living there for thousands of years. Although only 18 of the 200 plus islands in the Torres Strait are populated, mostly because the others don't have enough fresh water for people to survive. Some are coral islands with the kind of crystal clear water you'd see on postcards. On others, mountains rise high in the sky. The capital, Thursday Island, is in the south. And way up in the northern strait, there's a cluster of islands that have continued their traditional trading with Papua New Guinea. No passports required. In total, about 8,000 people live in the Torres Strait, and over 90% of them are indigenous islanders. One of the most famous is Eddie Mabo, who came from the island of Mur. He led the historic native title case that saw Australia's highest court recognise in 1992 that Indigenous people are the original owners of our land. Before then, the law was based on the white settlers' claim that the land was unoccupied and unowned before they came here. Many more successful land rights claims have followed since then, so Eddie Mabo is a real pioneer for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Whenever you travel, it's important to learn a few words in that country's language. It's a great way to show respect. So let's... Learn the lingo. There are three languages other than English spoken in the Torres Strait Islands. Yomplatok, which is the most common. That's a mix of English and other languages. Then there's Meriamir, which is spoken in the Eastern Islands by just over 200 people. And Kalau Lagao Ya, which is spoken in the other islands. Both those two are considered endangered languages, and one way to keep them alive is to teach kids through stories, I've put a link in your episode notes, and songs. And we are so lucky that the students at Our Lady of the Sacred Heart School on Thursday Island have recorded a good morning song in language for us. 
How lucky are we? Amazing. Thank you so much. The Yomplatok word for thank you is eso, which I love because it also means respect. Speaking someone's language and saying thank you, it's really all about respect, isn't it? Now that we can communicate a little bit, it's time for school. Because the Torres Strait Islands are part of Australia, school isn't all that different there from the mainland. But that's not always a good thing. Lessons are taught in English, and for many kids, that's their second or even their third language, meaning that it can be hard to get the school results you're capable of if you're not understanding as well. The books that teachers use come mostly from the mainland, so they may not have pictures or stories in them that reflect the world that kids in the Torres Strait are living in. Teachers might have to explain to kids what it means to buy a train ticket, because there are no trains in the Torres Strait. And it's harder to learn if you can't make connections. Remember I said that there were some different school rules in the Torres Strait? Well, one is that you're allowed to take time off school to shave. When puberty finally catches up with boys in the Torres Strait, they are allowed to skip school for their first shave ceremony. This is a really big moment in a kid's life. Because uncles and aunties are responsible for a lot of a kid's education and culture, the boy is shaved by his uncles and then they take him out fishing to spear his very first turtle or dugong. I've put a link to a shave ceremony video in your episode notes. A huge feature of all Torres Strait Island ceremonies is music and dancing. And one of the best things about visiting another country is immersing yourself, that means surrounding yourself, in a different culture. So, let's get cultural. Traditional dancing is a major way of expressing yourself in the Torres Strait. Each clan and each island group has its own unique style, including their own style of something called dance machines. Called Zamiakal in Kalalaguya, these dance machines are mechanical moving objects that tell part of the story of the dance. For example, you might wear a wooden headdress of a bird with different parts connected by fishing line. When the dancer pulls on the line, the bird's wings move. Or a shark could open and close its jaws. I've put a link in your episode notes to a dance from Europe Island, which isn't fantastic quality video, but the Zamiakal is so cool, I just had to include it. There's also a video about a master Zamiakal maker. He has pieces in art galleries all over the world. You should check it out. Okay, all that dancing has made me starving. I think it might be. Dinner time. Throughout the islands, even where good land is limited and rainfall is a bit uncertain, there are usually a few coconut palms or plantains or bananas or pawpaws or mangoes in the gardens of people's houses. And each family tends to own a patch of land somewhere to grow cassava, sweet potatoes, yams, taro, pumpkins, sugarcane or other crops. All those things grow really well in this climate. 
When Japanese and other Asian people came to the islands in the 1860s to start diving for pearls, they introduced new flavours to the islands like chilli, garlic and curry. But there's one thing that's always been central to Torres Strait food and life. Fishing. So in your episode notes, there is a recipe for sop-sop, which a British visitor in the 1940s said he fell in love with when he had it for the first time. It's made with vegetables, coconut milk and fish, all wrapped up in a banana leaf. Sop-sop traditionally cooks slowly on hot stones, but you can make it in a saucepan too. Yum. Time for the quiz. This is the part of the podcast where you get to test how well you've been listening. Question number one. Who in a Torres Strait Islander boy's family gives him his first shave? Yeah, that's right. His uncles. Question number two. What does ESO, thank you in Yomplatok, also mean? You got it. It's respect. And question number three. Who was the Torres Strait Islander who made land rights history? You got it. It was Eddie Marbo. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for staying curious about the world and joining me on this incredible trip to the Torres Strait Islands. Now get out there and have a most excellent day. Over and out. <laughs>